The first olive moments of daylight, anticipating the imminent appearance of the sun over the English Channel, disclose a wide, misty green plain descending to the South Downs and the sea. This is the great Weald of Kent. It is a peculiarity of the Weald's terrain, demonstrated in the shrouded past by Romans, Saxons, and Normans, that it would be quite defenceless should an enterprising foe cross the channel. Were any force to prepare for an invasion, its campfires on the far shore would be visible from nearby Dover. But now, fourteen years after the armistice of 1918, the Weald is an idyll of peace, and the explorer on foot finds that it possesses camouflage delights. Its smooth breast, for example, is not entirely unbroken. The pasture land, sloping upward toward London, is cleaved by a shallow valley. This coombe rises to a timbered crest. There, among eighty sheltering acres of beech, oak, lime, and chestnut, stands the singular country home of England's most singular statesmen, a brilliant, domineering, intuitive, inconsiderate, self-centered, emotional, generous, ruthless, visionary, megalomaniacal, and heroic genius who inspires fear, devotion, rage, and admiration among his peers. At the very least, he is the greatest Englishman since Disraeli, a quaint survivor of Britain's past who grapples with the future because he alone can see it. His past is illustrious. In the House of Commons he has, at one time or another, held every important ministry save those of Prime Minister and Foreign Secretary. Now, however, he is a backbencher, an elected member of Parliament excluded from the Cabinet. In his fifty-eighth year, he is already regarded as an anachronism. He first became a household word as a gallant young British officer, a loyal subject of Queen Victoria, handsome and recklessly brave, serving alongside the buffs in battles on India's northwest frontier, with Kitchen at Khartoum and in the Boer War, all symbols of the nation's imperial pride, which he fiercely defends despite flagging allegiance elsewhere in the realm. He is mocked for failures which were not his, notably his strategy to force the Dardanelles in 1915. He seems less a figure of the twentieth century, which he loathes, than of the nineteenth, or, reaching even farther back, of Renaissance versatility. The wide sweep of his interests and activities embraces literature, painting, philosophy, hunting, polo, military science, the history of the United States, even architecture, bricklaying, and landscaping. Indeed, many of the shining ponds and pools and the happy waterfalls between the Weald and the manor were created by him, wearing hip-high wellingtons and excavating the rich earth with his hands. Tree-locked and silent at dawn, Chartwell's immediate grounds further testify to his stamina. On the south side of the mansion, a garden surrounded by pleasant red brick, walled by him, invites his guest to peer inside the Mericot, a brick playhouse which he built for his nine-year-old daughter. Between the playhouse and the great house lie his orchard of fruit trees and a tennis court of barbered grass he shaped for his wife Clementine. Eastward, the flushed sky reveals a lawn terrace. Northward, his heated swimming pool and ponds inhabited by black swans and Churchill's goldfish, 
actually golden ore. He is planning to cement into Chartwell's north wall, overlooking the pool, the family's coat of arms and its Spanish motto, so appropriate in these years of his political exile. Fiel pero desdichado, faithful but unfortunate. On the grounds are various lesser buildings, a painting studio, a white cottage with two bedrooms, houses Marriott White, Mary's governess, Nana to the little girl, but Cousin Moppet to the others. She and Nellie Romilly, Clementine's sister, are two of Mrs. Churchill's relatives in residence, sharing the household tasks. Another cottage is planned. Winston expects to finish it in 1939. Then he and Clemmie will move into it, leaving the mansion to their son Randall. It is startling to realize that all this is less than 25 miles from Hyde Park Corner.